Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Celtic Stuff Live. The only toll-free call-in webcast. Produced specifically for Celtics fans. Celtic Stuff Live. Welcome back, everybody. Celtic Stuff Live, post-lottery edition. John Duke hosted our live lottery show. And then I then John took a week off before that. Jimmy Toscano from uh, Metro Boston joining us as a guest host last week. A great show. Got some nice Twitter followings as a result of that show. Definitely going to get to some of those questions uh, after our interview with guest Scott Souza of the Metro West Daily News. So once again, everybody, welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on CLNS Radio, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for Boston sports. All right, John. I'm going to give you my quick take because I didn't really talk too much about the lottery. Um, after the lottery, I didn't get a chance to talk at all. But we didn't really talk all that much about it uh, when Jimmy was on the show last week. We kind of teased it a little bit, but there were other more other topics that we were talking about. The lottery is kind of one of those things where you have to live through it and then you talk about it. I listened to the live show. seemed like everybody was pretty let down, but I'll tell you what. Here's my quick take on it. For me... When I went into that, I was like, we're going to get the fifth or sixth pick. It's the Celtics' way. Expect the worst, and then you're not so disappointed. And that's how I was going to roll with it. However, somehow they added a little element of suspense that night when they went to commercial break right before coming back for the final three picks. And my brain did a complete 180 in those moments when I said, wait, we're not going to be worse than third. Maybe we're going to be better. And all of a sudden, and I think this is the psychology of many Celtics fans, all of a sudden the idea of moving up to the one or the two became very tantalizing and very real. And any one of us who was expecting the worst and was prepared to deal, deal with that, all of a sudden did what I did, thought, oh man, we're going to get one of the top two picks. We're so excited. And then comes back, and it's so deflating because literally out of the commercial break, yep, Celtics at number three. So whatever fleeting moment of hope there was that there was going to be a top two pick was ripped away. And then all of a sudden, I actually had this void where I feel like we lost. But had you asked me before that lottery if I thought staying at number three would be a win, I wouldn't say it would be a super win, but it would have been on the plus side. And it actually beats the odds, less than 50% chance of staying in the top three. And yet we all found ourselves being just a little bit disappointed that night. 
Well, I guess I'll, I'm going to take a little bit of a different take on that because, see, I was, of course, we're on. The, I'm broadcasting as this thing's going on, right? We're on the air. I, I don't have a lot of time, and and as as you can tell, anybody who's listening to the show, you can tell there's not a lot going on necessarily up here between my ears. I'm just I'm spouting what's going in. It's coming into my brain. It's going right out, right? So I didn't really have a lot of time to sit there and process it that to that great degree. But what I would say is I went into this whole thing with just like you did. Worst possible scenario. But I still I didn't walk away feeling deflated. And I know that's that seems like even Danny Ainge, even Danny Ainge has been has admitted that he was disappointed and you know you know his emotions kind of ran the gamut, thinking oh we got the one or two, and then you know really the worst possible scenario after the break is what happened. But I don't know. I felt like you know what they walked away with something better than third or, four, or fourth or fifth, which is the most likely scenario far and away. You know, there was like a sixty percent chance that they were going to have fourth, fifth. Or sixth, and they end up they beat the odds for the first time, you know, ever they beat the odds. So I think it was a great thing. Um, I don't think it's all doom and gloom. I think that there's a lot of things that can happen with that third pick. I think there's a lot of trade possibilities with that third pick. I think that that they can they're going to be able to set the market for any, everybody who's not named Brandon Ingram and Ben Simmons. And and you know a really good point that's been going out there was D'Angelo Russell wasn't a consensus top two pick last year and somehow jumped up there. And Chris Dunn is getting that same kind of play, and I know his agents are trying to steer him away from Boston, and we're going to get into all of that. But your point about that number three pick maybe not being as bad, there's nothing to say that Ingram or Simmons might not somehow get pushed down. Highly unlikely. Um, I really don't think it's going to happen. I think it's a much more solid one-two mm-hmm. than last year. But it is a possibility, especially when you look at Philadelphia. Uh, they really don't need another big man, right? No. So it looks like all kinds of trades may be possible at the top of this draft, except for maybe the Lakers, and they're sort of positioning Simmons to go there, probably more posturing than any other year that I've seen, at least in the early going, with players trying to steer where they're going to go. Listen, folks, these teams have the picks where they have the picks for that reason. If you think for five seconds that the Celtics, if they were in love with Chris Dunn, wouldn't take him regardless... You're wrong because they would. They would. And any player at the top, any player, and by can be picked by any team at the top of the draft under those same circumstances. There's no steering going on. The sample size is too large. If a team has their heart set on you, you're going to go play there. That's exactly right. Now I agree with you wholeheartedly. They're going <laughs> to, and somebody. I think there may be possibly some GMs out there that don't have the stomach, don't have the stones to go and make that kind of deal. You think Danny Ainge is scared about you know a situation like that? Heck, R.J. Hunter turned down coming to the Celtics to, to, to work out with them last, last year. So the idea that somehow that this is going to blow everything up and he's not getting, you know, Dunn's guys aren't giving the, the medical records to the Celtics, it ain't happening. It's not happening. Don't worry about it. What I would worry about, I guess, is what's the trade market going to be? Is there going to be the interest? Is Chris Dunn, for example, or or Dragon Bender, or any of these guys, are they going to be able to create a market for themselves to the point where the third pick is the 
the prime shopping channel, QVC of <laughs> of the high lottery. Is Danny going to be able to operate some sort of, you know, I don't know. I guess it's some sort of market. Well, there's more suspense at the number three. I think so. I'm not saying I'm not saying that it's more valuable than one and two. It no, obviously no, no. is not. But there is enough suspense being at the pick of the next tier of player that there may be a way to uh, get a deal done. It's almost like with the one or two pick, the Celtics might sit there and say, you know what, we're just not getting value for Simmons or Ingram. And they might have stood pat and picked those players. At number three, it's one of those, it's the, it's the first pick in the draft that's truly expendable without a team getting egg on its face, right? Because if you pass on Ingram and he becomes Kobe Bryant, you're done, man. Yeah. Like, your regime in whatever team, you know, let's pretend it's Philly or let's maybe it's the Lakers, but you trade that away and you get sort of a Rodney Rogers, Tony Delk impact and you give away a Kobe Bryant, you know, or take the Vladi Divac trade, for example, with the Hornets back in the 90s. If you wind up in that scenario, you're going to have a lot of egg on your face. It's going to be, you know, oh, look what they did on draft night. They thought they were making themselves better for the short term. You know, you'll be, you'll be right up there with the Nets owner for what he did to get Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. At the end of the day, number three is not so set. It's the most flexible, least risk Trade, tradable pick in the draft, and there's at least two, if not three or four players that have teams really intrigued where they might be willing to make a move. The problem is is getting this proven star, and we're going to talk about that after our interview with Scott Souza, but getting that established star, it's going to be a lot tougher, which is why, and I know we'll talk about Mark Murphy's article in the Herald the other day as well, but it's why this Jaleel Okafor trade just keeps popping up. Doesn't it just make sense that the Celtics would make some sort of a move with Philadelphia to, for both of those teams to balance out their rosters, especially with Danny's old buddies, the Colangelos, in charge? Uh, that rumor, the smoke and that fire is really strong. And you have to just wonder if there isn't something to it. So we're going to go get Scott Souza. We're going to talk about some of this stuff. But first, a word from our sponsor, Loot Crate. Just a reminder, everybody, this is how you support the CLNS Radio Network and Celtic Stuff Live. But the onslaught of big summer blockbusters makes May the perfect time to celebrate some of pop culture's unstoppable, unrelenting, and unbeatable characters and objects. So Loot Crate has got something you can carry for your kitchen and cool to go with monthly tea and pin featuring... Two Marvel teams plus Warcraft and Dragon Ball Z. No one crate should have all of this power. Loot Crate's a monthly subscription box service. So if you're an epic geek and gamer and you're buying these items and pop culture gear already, I just ask you, buy them from Loot Crate. Get into their subscription service. Make sure you put in our promo code, which is CLNS. You'll save $3 on any new subscription, and you'll be supporting Celtic Stuff Live and the entire CLNS radio network. You have until... The end of the month, 9 p.m. Pacific, to subscribe and receive this month's crate. And when the cutoff happens, that's it. It's over. They're on to the new crate. Joining us now from the Metro West Daily News, Scott Souza, good friend of the show. And I think we've already talked about this, but I think you were our first guest on Celtic Stuff Live, even before John came aboard as one of our co-hosts. But, Scott, uh, early exit for the Celtics in the postseason, pretty quick one. A little bit of fight for a couple of home games, which was nice. Now we've gotten through the draft lottery as well since we last spoke. 
I'm thinking maybe just give us a quick rundown of how you think the Celtics season went overall, and then your take on the draft lottery and what it means for maybe how they're going to reshape this, this roster in the next couple of months. Well, I would say, you know, my perspective is probably what a lot of people's is, is that it was a uh, mostly successful season with a bit of a sobering finish. You know, throughout the entire year, they had some signature wins, obviously the victory over the Golden State Warriors, uh, which seemed, which was even more significant at the time. But, um, you know, they wound up losing a, another home game after that. But, uh, you know, the team that went 73, the team that went 73 and nine and obviously is, is in the Western Conference Finals in the mix there. Uh, the victory over the Cleveland Cavaliers, the, the double overtime victory over the Clippers. They had some exciting moments, some fun moments. Uh, you know, when they got to the playoffs, that was a little bit of a reality check there. I mean, you mentioned it was a, uh, a fairly quick finish. They had a, a great couple of first couple games at home, but basically, you know, essentially they were blown out three of their four losses, including game six at home, even though they kind of made it a little bit of a game late. And they got, you know, kind of wiped off the floor by a team that got wiped off the floor the next round to get the Cleveland Cavaliers. So it, it did give you a little bit of an indication that even though the team took another step forward this year, there's still a long way to go to actually, you know, kind of compete for an Eastern Conference championship and a, and a spot in the NBA Finals. Uh, you know, following that, you know, everything became the all about the draft lottery. It was kind of interesting leading into the lottery because, you know, people were, I guess, based on a couple of past lotteries, they were uh, nervous that the Celtics were supposedly going to get screwed over. Or everybody had their own different words about what was going to happen to them if they didn't get that top three pick. But basically, if you look at it, I mean, the Celtics were able to get that number three pick without earning it. You know, they, they didn't have to endure an 18-20 win season to have a shot at, at picks one through three. They were able to go out and win 48 games and, and still get the number three overall pick. And, you know, for, from that perspective, I think they're in, in a pretty good position here heading into, uh, heading into this offseason. But obviously, you know, there needs to be another substantial talent uh, upgrade on this team. Uh, the question then becomes, you know, can you get that done this summer? And short of not being able to get that done this summer, I know a lot of people don't want to hear this, but, you know, then are you in a situation of basically doing what they did last year, which was make, you know, a, not a minor adjustment, but, uh, you know, try to get a little bit better and preserve flexibility to try to do the same thing again over the following summer. Because you can't, you know, I'm sure they would love to trade that number three pick for an established all-star, but you can't make a trade. Uh, when there's nobody available. So they have to, uh, you know, Danny Ainge has to go out and engage the market and see if they can get value for that number three pick. And if not, when they make the number three pick and they kind of, you know, move forward and try to develop another asset for next year. Just going back a bit, Scott, um, you know, you mentioned the, the sobering end to the season. Uh, I wonder, one of the thoughts that's kind of rattled around in my brain, I've seen it a little bit elsewhere, but, I just wonder your your take on on this in terms of that sobering end. We're seeing a team right now, and I, I think Toronto has certainly played much better at home in Game Three here, uh, but really looked outmatched in Games One and Two. I uh, wonder what your thoughts were, if they are similar at least. The Celtics they got the bad draw certainly with with the way the playoff seedings worked out. Obviously, the injuries to Crowder, Olenek, Bradley really, really probably zapped them of of any ability to fight there against Atlanta. What do you think in the in an alternate reality world <laughs> where those injuries didn't occur and that there was some sort of justice in playoff seedings? Uh, 
is there a fair chance the Celtics could be playing right now against Cleveland? Yeah, most certainly. I mean, if you look at it, I don't know that they would have done, I don't think they would have gotten past Toronto. Um, and Toronto, you know, Toronto, the Celtics were able to beat them in that final meeting, but Toronto handled them pretty similarly to the way Atlanta kind of handled them over the course of the season. So I think it would be a stretch to say that, uh, you know, they would have been able to, you know, basically going into the playoffs, well, if this works out, this works out, the Celtics can beat Toronto. You know, it, I, I don't necessarily – I think they would, there's a chance they could have beaten Toronto, but I think Toronto would have been the heavy favorite in that series. They would have just got knocked out in the next round. But certainly, you know, Atlanta was a bad matchup for them, and that matchup really became worse when Avery Bradley got hurt at the end of game one. I mean, they were down big at the beginning of game one. They made a big comeback. Avery Bradley was the, the one player who was playing and shooting well uh, in that game. He had 18 points, and he was actually a, a fairly proficient from the outside. Then once he went down, there was kind of that big domino effect. You know, Jay Crowder was never – you know, never even close to 100%. He started putting numbers on it. And usually when players start to put numbers on it, they want you to know that they're a little bit less than 100%. Like, this isn't this isn't me. This You know, I'm not, uh, you know, don't judge me by what's going to go on exactly in these games because I am hurting and they want it kind of out there. Um, and that was the case with Jay Crowder. He, he uh, you know, he didn't go on and on about his injury, but he, he let it be known that he was still struggling with that, with that ankle. And it showed up, you know, mostly on his, his offense, but it just, it just, it showed up in his shot all over the place. He just never looked comfortable, um, you know, with that outside shot that had been so improved over the course of the year. Talked to him a lot about, you know, the big jump between going 29% from three in his first year with the Celtics to 37%, <laughs> including some big ones uh, this year. And it was affecting him throughout. I mean, he, was, he wasn't he was able to get to the free throw line as much. When he did, he, did, he was missing free throws. So, so you take out Crowder, you take out Bradley, you take out Olenek, and things just kind of stacked against them. But I... I want to hesitate by say, I want to hesitate to say that that was the only reason why they're not, you know, down two to one to the Cleveland Cavaliers in the Eastern Conference Finals right now. There were, you know, other teams. Atlanta had some injuries too, and other teams have been battling injuries. Miami, for instance, you know, without Chris Bosh the whole second half of the year, you know, teams kind of make those adjustments and 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 they fight on, and the Celtics weren't able to fight on for very long. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And, you know, somebody else who kind of faded down the stretch but not related to injuries was Jared Sullinger. He really struggled in that Atlantic ser- Atlanta series, and that's the reason Jarebko uh, came along. And I'm sure you've gotten plenty of Sullinger questions in the interviews that you're doing as the Celtics are heading into this offseason and when we're looking at the, the draft coming up. But i got to ask you, I, I listened to this interview with Chris Mannix, um, who Jared Sullinger threw towels uh, over his head pretty much for the entire season whenever he was a sideline reporter. There was something about that interview that was just, I don't know if it was awkward or just funny, but there's, it, it tells me, or I have this hunch, that Sullinger and the Celtics kind of both know, and maybe it's through the agent's relationship, that maybe they're going to move on from each other in this off season. Do you think that's true? Do you think your prediction would be that, that Sullinger is not back with this team, or do you think there's plenty of love for bringing him back at the right play, price? I think it all depends on the price, and, and what, I'm, I'm, what I think the disconnect is going to be is that you know Sullinger probably wants a long-term contract at this point, and I think the Celtics would be rightfully nervous about giving him that long-term contract. It, it, to me, it's very similar to the Glenn Davis you know, situation when he became a free agent heading into the lockout year where, you know, he was a productive player for you, he played well for you, but you had some concerns about him. Uh, and a lot of those concerns involved conditioning. And I think you saw probably towards the end of the year, as much as Jared Sollinger uh, played very well for most of the season, 
um, as much as he his conditioning was was strong for much of the season. I you did see him wear down a little bit and you know maybe let that conditioning slip a little bit at, at the worst possible time. So the question then becomes you know motivation moving forward. If, if he's then on a I don't know what the um, what what you'd be looking at for a contract, but if he signs say a four year forty million dollar contract, does he have that motivation uh, to keep himself in in the best physical condition? Uh, that he can be and, and to keep pushing himself. And that was one of the big concerns with Glenn Davis. Um, that's why they, you know, when it came time for him to sign a long-term contract, when he had the opportunity to do so, the Celtics kind of balked at it and they were able to work out the trade, uh, which worked out well. They worked out the trade with uh, the sign and trade with the Orlando Magic. You don't have to get players back in a sign and trade, but they were able to get back Brandon Bass and, and they made a run to the Eastern Conference Finals that year. So obviously there's no complaints there. Um, I think you could see something similar for Jared Sellinger. Now the question becomes, from Sellinger's point of view, do you is this the is this the time to go for that longer term contract? Or I'm sure the Celtics will qualify. Um, give you know, give them the the basic qualifier offer, the lower qualifier offer, and then it becomes a situation of well, do you do you kind of do what you've seen you know other star other you know players kind of bet on themselves? and whether Selinger takes that one-year qualifying offer and then says, okay, next summer I'll be a restricted free agent and then I could really cash in, or whether he kind of jumps in on the second-tier offer. I think Greg Monroe was kind of an example of a guy who did that. He kind of took the lower-end money to stay one more year as opposed, and then become an unrestricted free agent as opposed to signing what he thought you know, might be a, a slightly below market value, You know what he'd be able to get as an unrestricted free agent. You know, Avery Bradley was a guy who did that with the Celtics. In the opposite, he... He wanted the, the four-year contract, and he signed it uh, during his restricted year. Uh, Jay Crowder signed his five-year, $35 million contract during his restricted year. Now, there's an argument that, you know, if he had played it out one more year with the Celtics under a qualifying offer, he could be looking at being a 10 to $12 million player this year, and how much money did he leave on the table by taking that contract? So that could be something that if Sullinger's looking to really maximize his value during the, you know, peak earning years of his career, and he's a guy that you look at and you say, well, if you really picture him being on the court when he's 32, 33 years old. So, you know, the next five to six years might be very important for him. Um, you know, I think that would be the most likely situation that he returns to the Celtics is if he accepts, if there's no real, real lucrative uh, long-term contract out there, if it's kind of more, you know, people want to sign him for three for 20, you know, an Isaiah Thomas type contract as opposed to, and he thinks if he plays it out one more year, he can get five for 60 or something to that effect. Uh, that would be the, the way he would come back. I don't think the Celtics would match a substantial long-term contract offer for him, even if it's, I don't, again, just throwing out numbers. But, you know, if somebody offers him four for 40, I don't see the Celtics matching. Yeah, I don't either. I also don't, not so sure I see anybody offering him that either. Um, it seems like he it was would be kind quite of, a bit of gamble. He was close to a double-double guy. He did have, now, you know, we see a lot of his warts, but if you just look at him, if, you, if you're looking at across the league with teams with a lot of money, and you know, they're, they're not in on those main free agents. So then you start to look at the restricted free agents. And I know that the Celtics will do that when it comes to guys like, you know, maybe Bradley Beal or Harrison Barnes, you know, that's where you can kind of go in and, you know, maybe overpay for a guy based on more potential than, than all that he's shown in his career. Uh, you know, what happened with Chandler Parsons a couple of years ago, and I think Parsons might be up again, or at least have an opt out in his contract uh, coming up this year again. But, you know, other teams, if they have, uh, money and they they don't have uh, they they're not going to be in on Al Horford and, and Kevin Durant's not going anywhere. Then uh, you know maybe they do look at a at a guy who's still young. He's 24. He's averaged almost 10 rebounds a game and say that uh, you know he is a he is a guy that's worth 
you know, it only takes one to offer, you know, that four for 40 or whatever it's going to be. Um, and, and he's gone. And, it, you know, chances are that we're probably, you know, the Orlando Magic was probably the only team willing to give Glenn Davis that offer back in, it was in 2012. Um, and he took it and the Celtics were able to work out the deal. So I wouldn't be surprised if he does, if somebody does, you know, say, you know, he's a young big man who can rebound, um, kind of the profile that the Celtics will probably be looking for if they're looking to replace him. And it does make that offer for him. I just think that this organization and maybe even this fan base sees him a lot more, sees some of the warts a little bit more, and, and, and that's why they would be less likely to go there. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny, too, because the league is, is changing, and there's just all of this Draymond Green mimicking and, you know, guys who can guard multiple positions, and, and Sullinger doesn't do that, but at the same time, to your point, it only takes one team, and the rebounding, regardless of what the Celtics do, will be sorely missed. I guess the only part of it that makes me think that they might not miss it as much as we think is just looking at Jarebko's rebounding numbers in the postseason, not to say that Jarebko's going to be a double-double machine next year, you know, and, and could slide right into that role. But my point is that maybe there are just so many rebounds available based on the lineup and the structure of this team that, you know, somebody with any kind of, of rebounding skill. From the outside. Exactly. There's <laughs> just so, so much opportunity to grab rebounds that that might be a confounding variable there. Um, you mentioned one-year deals, and, I, you know, I saw a tweet from you um, about – Kevin Durant and saying, okay, you know, when everybody kind of gets over this fantasy, maybe they'll get behind Oklahoma City and and really, you know, push for that team to to get to the finals. I mean, I would love to see OKC at this point because I think the dream is over. I think you've nailed it. They've done enough just in this Western Conference Finals uh, against Golden State now for Durant to at least give it one more year. I'm not going to say that you know he signs a long-term extension, but I think I think the one-year deal at this point has become a no-brainer for him. Um, he might use some time to test the waters and feel what might be available a year from now, but I think he's going to re-sign a one-year deal and, and see what OKC can do to package around him with this newfound cap space. But, you know, looking at the... Looking at the uh, looking at the Western Conference Finals, looking at the play, you almost think that you know maybe they're finally a team that's going to get over that hump, even though it looked like the most insurmountable of teams was in their way. Um, do you think OKC ultimately wins this series? I mean, based on you know Game Four, I think is going to be the. I mean, I guess the next the next game is always the biggest game of every series. Uh, you know, when you get to this point, but really game four is, is the big swing game. Cause if they win, can win that game at home, then they're up three games to one. And, you know, you would have to say at that point to the overwhelming favorite to go, if they lose game four, then they're, they've basically given away everything that they've already gained in the series. You know, the win up in golden state, the blowout win at home, that was, you know, they were up by 39 points. I think at one point there in the, uh, in the fourth quarter, I thought it was funny when uh, they were up 39 points. Steph Curry comes down, hits one three, and right away Billy Donovan calls a timeout to make sure there's no momentum. I think there was still a minute or two left in the third quarter there. But um, you know, they've certainly proven that they are, you know, not kind of the the, that, the head of the second tier that they've appeared for the last couple of years. You know, they got to that one Finals, the year that they would have played the Celtics, and the Celtics been able to, you know, beat Miami one of those last couple of years and. And then they got wiped off the floor pretty quickly in that in that series, and, and really haven't kind of settled into that third spot. Maybe you know a, a, a half length ahead of the Clippers in the last couple of years, but really the you know I think in a lot of people's perspective, still well behind Golden State and in San Antonio. And 
this year they've, they've shown that they belong, uh, you know, right there with those two. I mean, those two were so good during the regular season and were, you know, pursuing records and, and undefeated home seasons and, and record best seasons, but you forgot exactly how great of a season that Oklahoma City had. In fact, you know, one of the other great Celtic signature wins was that went out and go Oklahoma City early in the year. You didn't realize uh, what a big victory that was at the time. That was a game that Marcus Smart went crazy. Um, you know, they didn't lose a lot of home games over the course of the season. So they were right there kind of flying under the radar well ahead of the Clippers for most of the year and, and are kind of making their run at a big time. And, uh, you know, they should be – everybody knew this would be a fun series to watch. But, uh, you know, they, that could be a very exciting uh, NBA Finals between Oklahoma City and Cleveland if it gets if it gets there. And, and, you know, Kevin Durant's second shot at LeBron James. And, and, you know, maybe we're talking about Kevin Durant as being the – you know, when this is all said and done, you know, it, there's been so much talk about – Curry and versus LeBron over the last two years, but uh, you know maybe you're starting to push Kevin Durant and, and at the very least Kevin Durant, but also the the Durant Westbrook combination. You know you start to look at that in terms of being, you know guys that have already made two NBA Finals during the early parts of their careers. If they're able to win one, then you start to you know really elevate them in terms of the all-time you know combination player combinations, and that uh, would be hard to imagine that breaking up in, in short order. Uh, so Kevin Durant or Russell Westbrook could just go sign elsewhere. Yeah, and it it would bring a little bit of parity uh, in a league that really does struggle, although most of the competition is still out in the Western Conference. Assuming the Celtics are going to make this pick at number three, you know, and this is more of the fan in you or, you know, sort of uh, an, an, more of a question for fun because I think so many things are going to be happening between now and June. But let's just say they keep the pick. Is there a player that you kind of have fallen in love with or that you think, you know, if you were Danny Ainge would be your overwhelming selection at number three? It is kind of funny that you mentioned that because right away when, you know, when the first, when the pick comes up right away, you're like, everybody's first instinct is trade it, trade it, trade it, try to get something for it. You know, you don't want another young player. You want a veteran all-star. And then you start to look at these guys and you do start to, you know, everybody has their own guy that they, that they like. And, you know, and the guy that I keep hearing stories about that's kind of more and more endearing every single time is, is Jamal Murray from, from Kentucky. Just some of the, you know, some of the shots that he hit in college, the idea that he can come into a place like Kentucky and average 21 points a game as a freshman. Um, you know, I know some people feel a little burned by the, the James Young situation. He was so promising, and he, he hasn't panned out quite well. But, uh, you know, that story about him, I think it was the New Jersey, uh, the Brooklyn Nets, he had a workout with them. And uh, was it the Brooklyn Nets? It was some team that he had a workout. It wouldn't have been Brooklyn because they don't have the draft choice. But, um, you know, some workout that he had where, he goes out and hits, I think it was 23 out of 27 uh, three-pointers during a drill, which had broke the team's record or, you know, they, their version of the three-minute run. Somebody else uh, hits 24 out of 27, uh, and I may be a little off on these numbers, but they're thereabouts. Um, so he asks if he can go again, and he comes back and hits 25 out of 27. You know, that level of competitiveness, you know, he's a guy that you could say, okay, for a team that sorely needed shooting at the end of the year, you know, you'd love to have this guy, you know, plug in to make them better next year. Now the question then becomes, you know, what's the ripple effect on the lineup if they make that? You know, you bring in another guy who's basically just a shooting guy, doesn't have that, uh, doesn't have quite as much position flexibility as, as I know that Brad Stevens likes and the Celtics like. You know, does, how does that affect Avery Bradley? How does that affect Marcus Smart's ability to get on the floor? And then you get to start looking at that. But just in terms of a player that you say, okay, I'd love to add, you know, his his competitiveness and his skill set to this team, he would be my pick right now. Yeah, well, and, and we I'm sure we're going to get into that in a bit here. Uh, but, uh, Scott, 
the other thing that's been kind of interesting is for those who haven't been, you know, kind of look, going back and looking at the trade thing, there's been a lot of talk about Okafor in the last few days. What is your sense of that? I mean, was, do you think he's a, a big man for a time gone by? Is he Al Jefferson redo? Is you know, what, what do you think about that fit of of maybe using that third pick as either the primary or sole inducement to get Okafor to Boston? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think he definitely, you know, he, you look at the question. Okay, if he was in, if he were in this year's draft, where would he go? He'd probably go number three. So, you know, from that perspective, you know, he was a guy who you thought might go number one last year. I think he dropped to number three, and this year he'd probably go number three. So by that that effect, it's a it's a fair trade. The question is what you forecast his ceiling to be. You know, he, he had kind of an up-and-down year in, in Philadelphia. He wasn't drafted by that regime. And you look at him as a player that kind of has that, you know, Jared Sullinger ceiling. I mean, there were times where they went at each other this year that Sullinger looked like the far superior player. There was another game where, you know, um, uh, Okafor really took it to him a little bit, but you know, in, in a few of the matchups, it, it seemed like they were kind of on par. You know, if you if you want and you know, if you want an Al Jefferson player, then you can go out and resign Al Jefferson because he's an unrestricted free agent. I don't <laughs> I don't think he would be super high on their priority list, but if you just want an in you know an interior good in good rebounder guy, you know Jefferson is out there this year. You can go get him. Uh, you know, and he may be somebody's fallback option. I have a feeling uh, Al Jefferson. Uh, as soon as Al Horford decides what he's going to do, Al Jefferson will start getting a lot more phone calls this year because he might be the, uh, the fallback option. Even though I, I think at this point Al Horford is more of a, you know, more of a current NBA type of player in terms of how he's been able to develop his outside shot or whatever. But Al Jefferson is still a tremendous rebounder and still a tremendous inside uh, scorer, even though he took a little bit of a back seat with Charlotte uh, the second half of the year. But um, so I guess it just depends on what you think Okafor's uh, ceiling is in terms of whether you want to make him a cornerstone guy, but is he worth the number three pick? Uh, I, I think he is, based on the fact that uh, if he went in this year's draft again, he'd be number three, and and he's only a year removed out of college. I think it's kind of funny that some people that are such a proponent of this trade is like, you know, we don't want another, you know, we don't, you know, we don't want another guy right out of college. We don't want another draft pick. We want to go out and and trade for an established veteran. And they seem to kind of have the we'll trade for anybody mentality. You know, treating Jaleel Okafor like he is like this five-year, you know, established NBA guy who's gone out and you know he's a 15 and 10 guy every year. You know, he's basically like bringing in another draft pick. It's just they didn't get him right out of college. They got him one year out of college if they do it. Absolutely. Well, Scott, I w- thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Good hearing from you. Uh, even and I guess even though you predate my existence here on Celtic Stuff Live, I guess you get the gold wash before I do. So good luck with that. <laughs> I think they measure. I think they measure years differently back then. Like, uh, is that like in the year in the year two B, uh, BG, B, JD before John Duke, as, as opposed to uh, AJD after John Duke? Something like that. I, I think it, I think it's similar to that. We haven't done the carbon dating on this to know exactly. Yeah, it's like the it's like, like the dead ball era of Celtic stuff. Like <laughs> <laughs> that's about right. Yeah, the, the, the pre JD, the JB, the pre JD. Yeah, I, I think I think uh, in either event, we're glad to have you back on Scott, and we got to do it again sometime over the summer when things get a little bit more clear. Sounds good. Look forward to talking to you guys again soon. Thanks a lot. Fantastic. Thanks, Scott. 
Scott Souza from the Metro West Daily News, everybody. Follow him on Twitter at Scott underscore Souza from the Metro West Daily News. John, always good stuff from Skippy Sosa. Uh, no doubt, our, one of our favorite guests, and one of our—I think he might have been our very first guest. Don't forget to follow John and I on Twitter as well. I'm at CSL underscore Justin, and John is at CSL underscore Duke. And you can follow the entire CLNS Radio network at CLNS Radio. We also got a Facebook page, Facebook.com/backslashCLNSFans, and search for Celtics Stuff Live because we've got our Facebook page as well. The other thing I want to tell everybody about is download the CLNS Radio app for iOS and Android. All you have to do is go into your app marketplace and search CLNS Radio. And a real big shout-out to Jared Weiss, who's done just really great job of developing and expanding video coverage for CLNS Radio on the YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com backslash CLNS Radio. Uh, you do get the Garden Report during the year with live coverage after the game full-length locker room interviews, high-definition interviews, uh, just really great content. We're going to come all back to you again next season, which is fantastic. So, John, I know, Scott, we covered a lot of good things with Scott, but we also got some pretty big Twitter activity uh, this week from a uh, new listener who did download the CLNS radio app and got plugged into the fold and uh, enjoyed some of the ESPN stuff with Sam Packard and Jared Weiss's podcast. But RJ Hunter Fan 28 is tweeting some questions at us. But before we get to him, I have to ask you, John, I didn't realize that you got to see the name of the list that I add you to. So, respected media, you don't, you, you're, uh, you're questioning my judgment. <laughs> Well, I think anyone should. I mean, you've, you've listened to the show. <laughs> Been on the air ten years, you know, respected. Dear God, man. <laughs> no, no, no. That's right. Just, yeah, you asked. You, know, you can put it on your resume. It's good stuff. I might just do that. I, I'll put it on my LinkedIn. You know, <laughs> credentials. Respected media list. Justin Poulin. <laughs> As much as I love Twitter, I'm clearly still a novice. I had no idea that you were going to see the name of the list that I was putting together. I thought it was just a way for me to organize my Twitter. I didn't realize that other people could see my list. I'm glad you you went with your first option for the name of that list as respected media instead of the other one, which was chumps that I have to follow because of the show. I thought that was a better name. Respected me was a better name. So thank you. Well, I, I, I retracted that. That was the first one. I put it out there, but I quickly changed it, you know, after I only added four or five people. So that was, you know, good play on my part. That Actually, my, my account was hacked, right? I mean, isn't that what all the NBA players <laughs> say now? They put something out? No, my, my account was hacked. I did not mean that as an insult. I, <laughs> yeah, I, we all went to the... Ray, Ray Allen school of how to do that the right way. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> those are that fateful day when Ray's Twitter was <clears throat> hacked. Yes, yes. Anyway, yeah, quote unquote. Right, right. If you don't know what that is, just do it. Just do a Google search. You'll you'll find out. And make sure nobody's looking over your shoulder when you're doing it. Because yeah, this good old Jesus Shuttlesworth is not quite so lily white. But anyway, that's a whole other Never thing. was. Oh, well, let's not go down that no. road. We'll take 20 minutes and lambaste the man. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see 
how the team decides to honor Ray Allen down the line. I have a feeling the team's going to go, you know, highbrow on this. You know, they're going to take the high road. But uh, I'm not sure the fans are going to respond to that, you know. But maybe everybody's got short memories and they'll forget about it. Let's go to some of these questions from RJ Hunter fan 28. Uh, first off, I think the question that what I want to start with is, the Suns are supposedly in love with Bender. What do you think we can get out of them just to move back one spot? Um, I don't know if there's going to be enough value there, John. What's your take on that? The only way I – look, the, moving back at all, I, I don't think that's out of, beyond the realm of possibility, but you're not going to do it unless you're going to get a veteran player back. There's no need to say, well, we'll move back a year, but we're going to give you eight more draft picks. I'm not sure that that sort of deal has a great deal of value to the Celtics right now. I think that the only way you're going to move back is if you're going to get a veteran player as the enticement to do so. So, for example... Maybe a three-way kind of scenario. Well, I don't know if it's a three-way. I mean, maybe just a simple two-way deal. But, you know, you look at someone like Phoenix and from go to three to four, is that a, a T.J. Warren? Is that is that the type of player you get? I mean, obviously, you're not. We're not talking about Devin Booker. That, that's not even in the realm of possibility. But you look at somebody. You don't look at somebody, a young player who's shown he can produce. You know, I don't think Alex Len is probably the guy that they're going to give up. But those types of talents, uh, young players who have shown that they can play a little bit already, that's a, that's something that would probably intrigue me to, to make a move down. I don't think I'd want to do it. I don't think I'd, I'd, I'd want... We'd have to give up another pick, wouldn't we? I mean, I don't it, think so. It's one, you think that they would, that, that Phoenix would give up a promising young player just to move up one spot? Well... What's the value? I mean, that, like you said, what's the value to go from three to four? If the difference means you're not going to get Dragon Bender and someone else is because they trade into that spot, or Boston takes him yourself, it could be a, a very tough situation. I mean, I'm just looking at, at the draft right now, the draft board, and who's available. If you're trying to fill a need, you're trying to get. If you think Dragon Bender is that guy, the Boston Celtics are going to be able to get a premium for him. Because they're not just going to let him go. They're going to they're going to hold the market hostage to get him. So we as Celtics fans really need Dragon Bender to take off. We, he's more so than anybody. We need him to be. Well, he's the most easy to hype. He is. Absolutely. He is the hype machine. Like and and look at all the articles coming out that are really subjective, just talking about his character. And I'm not, you know, lambasting his character at all. Uh, or trying to counter it, just saying that that has absolutely uh, very little to do with whether or not he's going to be able to play extended minutes. I mean, that's another thing. Just playing time in general has been low. Can his body withstand doubling the amount of minutes that he's playing for Maccabi Tel Aviv? You have no idea. His brother got injured, and now he's a, I think he's a redshirt freshman for Maryland. But, you know, his brother had injury concerns. And, um, again... I'm not trying to unhype Dragon Bender. I'm just saying that the articles are out there to add value in an area that they can add value to his stock because there's just still a lot of unknowns in terms of ability to play. Right. Um, he can shoot the ball. He's long and he's lean, and he can run the floor. But you know, there are a lot of other parts of his game that need to be developed. That's well. That's exactly right. And. That's why, you know, I think I'm a little bit more on the fence about him than, than some are, 
or or, or some seem to be. I'm on that fence with you. Yeah, I mean, I think just because of where the team is right now, if this was two years ago, this was the Marcus Smart draft, okay, and you've got the th- – Okay, it was this draft when the Marcus Smart draft was there. I wouldn't have nearly the hesitation to take Dragon Bender as I do right now, and that's not a good thing. <laughs> that's not good GMing by me because what I'm doing is I'm looking at the current team and I'm not trying to get the best player available. But what I look at with Dragon Bender is this is a two-year project. Anybody who thinks he's walking in the door like Kristaps Porzingis is not playing with reality. Agreed. He's not there. He's not the polished offensive player that Porzingis was. Porzingis was a, a player playing a fair amount in probably the the best league outside of the NBA in the Spanish league and doing well. And so he was easily able to make that transition. Ben, Bender's playing in a good league. I'm not saying he's – this isn't like – a Darko situation who is playing, you know, a, a low level in the Adriatic League. He's playing Israeli League ball, which is really a really good league, but he's playing, you know, less than 20 minutes a game, less than 15 minutes a game. And what can you really tell? So much of the NBA is durability. And is. we will never know that. And he could be anywhere performance wise, he could still be anywhere from an Odin or a Milicic all the way to a poor Zingas over the next couple of years. You know, it could be an injury situation. It could still be a bust situation. Uh, and it also could be a high reward situation. The unknowns are what makes him such a tradable commodity because it only takes one or two teams to really fall in love with him for that number three pick to hold value and be traded. I'm with you. I don't, even though he's still at a position of need for the Celtics. I just don't think they need a project. They'll pick him if they think he has the most long-term value, and then maybe they will look to move him later. But, but you know, you're looking at, and I'm just going to go to the next question from RJ Hunter 28. But he says, all right, Heald or Murray. But I still think Chris Dunn is in the conversation because, and this is where I think Chris Dunn's team is not being very smart. And I think there's some hype with Dunn because of the way they're playing it. I, I, I think that he could become a hot commodity. Do I think he makes the, the D'Angelo Russell leap? No, I don't. But I could see him being picked number three over Dragon Bender. So my point is this. I'm not sure you just boil it down to Heald or Murray. At three, if you don't take Bender, uh, I suppose if if R.J. Hunter is, is telling asking us to choose between the two because they have similar ability to score the basket, and that's another area of need for the Celtics, we could make that debate. But Chris Dunn is somebody I could see the Celtics still getting, and Marcus Smart or Avery Bradley or both are still very much tradable commodities, and maybe we keep the pick and we trade players for an established vet because that might be. A much more you could take sixteen twenty three and uh you could take Bradley and Smart and you might be able to make a trade with that for an established player. Mm-hmm. Uh maybe even more so than just packaging the unknown of number three. But if they drafted Chris Dunn to fill that gap in the backcourt with Isaiah Thomas, they don't really take a step back, but maybe the player they get in return is a huge step forward. There are so many different ways for them to attack number three. They need more and more players to get hype. They need Heald, Murray, Dunn, and Bender all to take on a life of their own for a bidding war at number three. That's exactly the way I think as well. That's what we need right now. And we're, we're, it's too early for that right now. I mean, you're not going to hear that stuff, I think, until you get into June. 
when things really get serious and teams start kind of winnowing down their options and, and really saying, because right now I think they're looking at everybody. A lot of these teams, they're bringing everybody in, everybody they can, they're trying to bring in, and they're trying to plan their, you know, get their plan of attack going. But once you get into June, that's when things get really get serious with guys, the guys at the top of the draft. I think you're right. I, I think Heald, Murray, and Dunn, I, to me, if you aren't going Bender, it's one of those three guys, right? And you're not supposed to be looking at need. But I, I, it's interesting. The Chris Dunn, but a trade can create a need for any one of those three guys very easily. Right. Well, no, I'm saying in a general sense, you shouldn't be drafting for need in any way. You shouldn't. It shouldn't matter whether you have 18 guys who play point guard already. Now. It doesn't make a fan happy, <laughs> and I'm pointing to myself as I'm saying this. It doesn't make a fan happy to say, ah, you know, another point guard. Three of the last four years, we picked point guards, you know, in the draft. Now, you look at some of the best players in the league, guess what position they play? They play point guard. Uh, you know, they play, you know, so you've got, that's, that's where you're going to get the guy, the best players seem to be point guards right now. So it makes sense to draft that position. Having said that, though, and I agree with you. you. You trade to create the space. If you think you're getting a guy at three who can, who can play, then you shouldn't be worried about what you have on your team. You should be able to want, it should want to move everyone else on your roster because he should be the best player you have right now. And I'm including Isaiah Thomas and everybody else in that mix. A third pick should be one of your most talented, if, you are, if not your most talented player. And is Murray that guy? Is Dunn that guy? Is Heald that guy? I'm not sure. I look at this situation with Murray and Dunn and Heald. You're right. I want there to be a lot of excitement because I'm still in the, I'm still in the mode of we should be trading no matter who it is. And that may be why I wasn't so upset the other night about where it came in because I'm not getting too enamored with any of these guys. I'm looking at the situation and saying, yeah, Murray could do a lot with his shooting, and Heald could do a lot for us. And, you know, Dunn seems, you know, exciting and be able to get to the bucket and all this. And who knows what Bender could be. But I know what Jimmy Butler is. I know what Blake Griffin is. I know what DeMarcus Cousins is. And that, to me, is where my mind is at. And, and the, it has to be. It, it has to it, be. It, it has happens. to be. And the guys that you're rattling off are still young and can grow on this team with Isaiah Thomas and create a stable core to play for Brad Stevens and his system. We need shooters. Um, a lot of times players, and really, I mean, I think Murray is really the best shooter, correct? But he's not the most athletic. Dunn is more polished offensively than smart. Probably gives you something similar on defense, at least close. And uh, but he has a more polished offensive game. Is he as much as good of a shooter as Murray? Probably not. But offensively, he's pretty gifted. And then you have somebody like Buddy Heald, who is definitely gifted offensively. And I think it's the work ethic that stands out with that player. Those three guys all have a different set. And I know you say don't draft based on need, but I think when you're looking at Heald, Murray, or Dunn, in many cases, teams that are evaluating that talent are going to make the selection based on need because they're going to value different attributes differently. But ultimately, does one of those players set themselves apart from another? I mean, I guess on one hand, 
The one that maybe drops down is Murray just because he's not blowing you away with that first step and his athletic talent, but his timing is so good. Remember Brandon Roy mm-hmm. before he got all messed up? Mm-hmm. I, you know, he was kind of similar to Murray in a way. I think he was still more gifted physically. You know, I, I, I think he probably... Bit bigger, I think he had too. A better, yeah, and he was bigger. But if you remember how, you know, he was kind of downplayed, mm-hmm. and then he came in and lit it up before, you know, he just suffered the rash of injuries and went down. I could see a similar impact with Murray without the injury piece, where he kind of comes in, and just because he's so much, he's so smart in his ability to change pace and... I think he really understands the game really well, that, that he could overachieve in a way. And, and Brandon Roy really did overachieve. I don't think people were expecting him to, to win Rookie of the Year that year. No. And he was, what, six overall? Yeah, right before uh, the, the infamous Randy Foy trade. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, he was you know, taken right before that. And, and that year, of course, we heard a lot on the show about the, how Roy was supposed to, you know, well, what if we had taken Roy because the Celtics traded their pick for Minnesota's pick and there was the whole thing with um, taking that taking that player instead of the, the deal that ended up bringing Telfair here. Um, <laughs> not one of Danny's greatest moves. But no. It really was an issue of Randy Foy or Telfair because the Wolves were not going to give up Brandon Roy. That was the guy that they wanted. So, um, anyway. Yeah, the swap of those picks, people misremember that draft did just that way. Yeah. But Murray's a guy who could go six yeah. and overachieve just like Roy. That's really the comparison I'm making. Absolutely. I could see that happen. Yep. Um, what did he hit? He hit something like 25 of 27 NBA three-pointers in a in a workout the other day. Yep. I mean, a lot of this differentiation comes down. Like I think, I think the one piece, most of these teams already scout these players, already know who they are, already know who they like. I think at the end of the day, the one piece that they get from these pre-draft workouts that they don't get anywhere else is just the preparation. I think hard work and preparation comes out in these workouts to NBA teams the most. I think that's the 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 one thing that they cannot evaluate. I mean, coaches are always going to build up their players, right? Do you ever think Rick Pitino ever called up, you know, Danny or Danny Ainge called Rick Pitino before draft and said, "Hey Rick, you know, thanks for your time with the Celtics, you know, but what do you think of the, what do you think of your player? You think Rick goes, Yeah, you know, I just don't think he's gonna make it in the NBA. Uh, you know, I I just don't think those conversations <laughs> happen, right? Rick's job or any college coach's job is to get their players prepared to go play in the NBA and that's how they recruit and, you know, hey, this player made it and you know, circumstances are always different for players. Sometimes it comes down to opportunity. There's plenty of great players that didn't have the opportunity when they got to the NBA and wound up playing overseas. And just, you know, it's a matter of circumstance. Um, so I don't see that happening, and I think the only way to really understand a player's commitment and preparation and, you know, work ethic is to see how they show up when they come in for interviews. Did they prepare for the interview? Did they know what types of questions they would be asked? Their agents know those things. If they're working with their agent and preparing for that, it stands out. There's no, it's just like a job interview. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right about that. And that was one complaint that a lot of teams were having after the combine, is that these guys are so well-prepared well now that they're not getting honest answers. They're not getting you know, a, a true and fair representation of who these, play, who these players really are. But... The flip side of that, and I think it's really more for the 
the invites when they come to the team. I think those have much more value to the teams in general. But I think that that is the area where you're absolutely right. You get to see, does this guy really want this? Does this guy really want to play in the NBA? Does this guy really want to make that that? Why that do you think step? they drafted Marcus Smart? Because <laughs> right. he came in and showed that. And another little nugget from, and I can't remember whose article it was, but Danny Ainge is out on the floor talking to these prospects. Why do you think he's doing that? Because it's not a canned interview. He's getting candid conversation, and it's telling him a lot about those players. He's involved. He's seeing if he thinks the player's coachable because he's giving him little nuggets while they're out there doing their workout. Stuff matters, man. And I think this Celtics organization does a fantastic job of really taking a look a little bit more closely at the psychological piece of all this. Yeah, no, I, I that's I think you're right about that. I think that that's that's really where you get a sense of what's your what sort of investment you're making. You know, is this is this an investment that I can count on? Is this someone that's going to be prepared? Who's who's serious about the business? Who's ready to go beyond being a kid in college? And that's a lot to ask. First of all, it's a lot to ask of a 19 year old kid, 18 year old kid, and and Bender and and uh, in Brandon Ingram's case, to okay, flip a switch. Now you're a pro. How easily are they able to make that transition? But it's the real world. You're investing millions. You know these guys are going to make two, three, four, five million dollars next year, and this is your franchise. You've got to make the right choice. So, you know, you look at a guy like like Murray, or you look at someone like Buddy Heald. You know, right now the analytics are saying Heald is is not a good pick. You know, the older old age is a, is a huge predictor of, of future success. So you look at a guy who's three years younger in, in Jamal Murray, and that says to you, yeah, his numbers aren't quite like Buddy Heald's are. He's not as efficient. His points per game, he's not, you know, he's not quite, a, he hasn't, he hasn't produced at quite that level, but he's three years younger. By the time you get three years into your rookie contract, there people are going to be making, by the point that Jamal Murray is at the same age Buddy Heald is now, his team will be making a decision of whether or not to max him out. <laughs> you know, if Buddy Heald came out at the same age as Jamal Murray is now, they'd be maxing Jamal and Buddy Heald out. That's that's the conversation this summer. So that's why these teams are looking at this, is that, you know, the the growth you've seen in Buddy Heald from his rookie or his, his freshman year to now, huge, huge, tremendous growth. That's great. But if you say, well, he's at the, right now at the same level as Jamal Murray, what are the chances that Jamal Murray is going to be a better player? What are the chances that he's going to make that same leap? And, and Chris Dunn is another older player. So, you know, while I understand people who lament the, oh, you know, oh, it's terrible, you know, you're drafting a senior, it's as if it's a bad thing, you know, you know, they think that's crazy that we're making light of that. But the truth is, it has real tangible value. The numbers don't lie on this. And so you look at that situation, that's why maybe you've got to lean towards a Murray, because he has three more years in which he can get to the point where Chris Dunn or Buddy Heald are under his control. And a lot of those older guys, you know, and Isaiah Thomas is sort of, you know, a yep. similar example. I don't know how, I can't remember if he went, did he go all four or did he go three years? Uh, he came out early, yeah. He, was, he did come out early, was it two? Yeah, no, junior, he was a junior. He was a junior. All right, so he came, but he was still an older guy. And, you know, way late in the second round, a lot of the hits, the ones that become great players, mm -hmm. 
are wind up getting drafted in the second round for that reason. Right. You know, they're dirt dogs. They're Jay Crowders. They're guys that Draymond you know, Green. Their way. Draymond Green. Although, and we're going to have to talk about that. <laughs> but it is the dirt dogs. It's the guys that you know work ethic brings them to a level in the NBA, but, you know, are they the perfect physical, you know, specifications, the first step, all of that quickness, leaping ability, jumps out of the gym, high upside potential, you know, no. (laughs) But there's a place in this league for players who just play like a pro, show up and be a pro. And I guess that takes your fantastic point. If Heald came out as a freshman, developed uh, the same way and had success in the NBA, they might be talking about maxing him out. I just think there's, is he ready to come in and contribute? Absolutely. That's why, that's why teams are going to look at him. But at the same time, this is a player that his ceiling is not as high. I think that's just such an obvious situation because you don't have the physical attributes. But you take a guy like Bender, you take you know any one of these other younger guys, it's the same gamble it's always been. Are they going to come in and have questionable work ethic? Look at Sullinger. Look how far he fell. And that wasn't even a work ethic question. That was just an injury history question. But can we say that Sullinger's done everything he possibly can to help prevent injury over his rookie contract? I don't think so. He could have done way better early on. And if he did, we might be talking about maxing him out right now. Absolutely. And we're not. Absolutely. No, that's a great point. And you've got if if you if you take everybody, you know, if you took everybody and just said, well, you know, this is the numbers and this guy's the best and this guy's worse, irregardless of age, you know, I think the draft would look a lot different. But you have to you have to look at potential. You have to look at a guy like. Jamal Murray and hold his numbers up against Buddy Hield and say, "Well, it's not quite as good, but this guy is 19 and this guy is 20, almost 22, 23 years old." Um, you know, Marcus Smart is younger than Buddy Hield. Uh, you know, he, he this is, he's going to be entering his third NBA season. So there is a the, the numbers do make the, you've got to look at the numbers in the in the course of whatever every their entire body worked and who they are as a person. It's why you want to talk to them. It's why you want to really move on to the next thing. So, you know, you try to maximize that situation with a third pick. And you hope that somebody, maybe a team that needs to get closer to getting to the next level. Um, and it's it's not going to be, it's not going to be, you know, L.A. or Philly, I think, that are going to be there. But maybe somebody who needs somebody who's better to, you know, more ready to play right now. If you look at, but having said that, you look at Chris Dunn, what's the core right there? Maybe it makes sense to have an older point guard running the show for Philly. And that's why you end up going with talking about Okafor. You know, maybe that's why you, you come back to that, whether it's, whether it's him or, or you, if they think Murray's the guy who can run the point. I think that that's why you kind of circle back to that because – for most teams, maybe that doesn't make sense, but maybe a team that needs an older presence as the point guard, and, and really talking about Philly in this case, not so much L.A. That's yeah, but why. how much have they really moved on from the Sam Hinkie deal, right? Like, are they really ready to compete yet, or are they just buying some time on more of the same while they balance the roster out? That's We'll find that out in this draft for all the reasons you just mentioned. Yeah, and I think, and I think they are. I think we're going to see a very different effort by Colangelo. I think there will be a deal. They're going to move one of those guys. There's no way that I see them entering next season 
one, without a point guard that they can work with for the next few years, and two, with three centers on the roster in, in Noel, Okafor, and Embiid. Now, I'm not sure what's going to happen with Embiid. You read Mark Murphy's stuff from this weekend. Really great job by Mark, uh, I think, in, in really laying out some of the parameters where he sees um, the draft and where the Celtics fit in and in terms of trade. And, and Mark really took kind of a down downward look at, at Okafor, ability to come here, they could one there's questions about about whether or not Philly's gonna have Embiid healthy, ready to play. And, you know, two you know, there were some questions about Okafer's ability to transition the NBA game and become more mobile, big and so forth, that that's where the league is going. Um I'm still thinking I think I don't think that's that I don't think that's an issue. Uh, you know, I, I understand that it doesn't go you know, with the way that the league is going, but you can't just create. Every team is not going to be able to create that mobile game. Every piece, and this is where Brad and Danny do a nice job. Every piece has to be utilized for what they are. Do I think that Okafor is going to space the floor? Obviously not. But I love him at the center position. He's a little undersized for the traditional way he would play the game, but in the way that they play the game now, dude, he can rebound. He can score inside. He's got some of those up and under and pump fakes. He's got moves. There's there's part of his game that reminds me of what I loved about Al Jefferson in some ways. I mean, am I concerned about how the Boston faithful are going to welcome him after the big fight in Boston this year? Sure. There's a little bit of that. You know, can we really fall in love with a player who's already had you know two scuffles in our city? I don't know. But but at, you know that's less of a concern to me. Than, than even a lesser concern, which is whether or not he can be useful in this NBA. Of course he can, but not on a team with three centers. You know, if you put him alongside a Kelly Olynyk and we're spacing out the floor with the four the way we want to, and he's in there doing cleanup, second chance opportunities, rebounds, maybe even Johnson in a trade like that, you're not making this significant upgrade. So maybe Johnson sticks around and helps him become a professional. Let's face it. Even though Okafor probably deserves quite a bit of the, you know, is he really mature enough question marks, the one thing is he's on a club with no veteran presence. He's got no mentorship. And that whole losing attitude being acceptable was a mess of an environment for any rookie. Am I excusing him? No, absolutely not. But do I think he could be better in a well-run organization like the Celtics, or even what Philly is likely to become in the next five years? Sure. I think it's up. I think it's all up uh, downhill from here. I think he's going to get better. I think he's going to be more respected. But he just needs solid mentorship, and there just is none of that on the club that drafted him. And his first rookie year is an, a, a very good example of what can happen to players that aren't in good environments. Yeah. And look, I don't think he's a number one guy. I don't think on a championship team he's the he's your number one star. I don't think that's the type of guy Okafor is. But I think that he he is a very valuable piece that could be the second guy or the third guy as you're getting there. And and I don't think right now there's anybody in this draft who's your number one star winning you a championship. So and I would even say that with the third pick, I'm not sure of the Jimmy Butlers. Um, you know, I'm not sure of maybe DeMarcus Cousins is maybe someone who wouldn't be in that mix, but anybody we've talked about as someone you trade with that third pick, I'm not sure any of them are the number one guy either on a championship team. But I think Okafor is, could be a very valuable piece. I think if he played, as you said, under Brad Stevens, his body is going to have to change. He is going to have to become 
lighter, leaner, a little bit quicker side to side. You know, the, the comparison... Are we going to... I was just going to say, are we going to wind up criticizing him the way that we have Sullinger all these years? That, well, that's... I had that discussion with somebody that, you know this week, too, on Twitter, and I, I don't think so, because I think that Jared Sullinger... First of all, we have three years of Jared Sull, of, of looking back at Jared Sullinger to be able to say, okay, this is why it didn't work. And you could probably have tell, told, told yourself very quickly from talking to him whether or not he was going to be that guy or not be that guy. And I, I mean, I don't know Okafor well enough to say, but I would think you put him in the right environment, he's going to be a guy who's going to work hard at it. Um, I think the out the out. He's got he's got a lot of fight in him. <laughs> he's got a lot of fight in him. You know that. I mean, I, and I do like that. I even I I can't remember which draft pick it was. Uh, oh, uh, Jalen Brown. You, there's a, a criticism of Jalen Brown that he's over aggressive, and he's actually my favorite of that. We didn't even lump him in. We went healed and done. But I actually I think there's a high upside kid you know, who can be taken at three. And one of the criticisms of Jalen Brown is that he's over-aggressive. And in my opinion, in the NBA, what it takes to succeed, I mean, look at Draymond Green. I mean, I think we could all characterize him as over-aggressive after the game on Sunday. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, a little shot to the to the, to the package, right? Oh. I mean, that's that's pretty no. over-aggressive. Yeah. But my point is, the, dude's a, the dude is a stud. Right, that over aggressiveness is what's allowed him to be a performer. Does he get away with a ton of moving screens? Is there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, the league's embraced his personality. He's on one of the best teams in the league, and he's got enormous fight in him. So Okafor, I'm I'm okay with that. He just needs guidance. And Jalen Brown, I don't think is any concern off the court the way that we might have some concerns with Okafor. But Jalen Brown is an over aggressive player on the floor, and I'd rather see him continue to assert himself and learn hard lessons by failing, but not giving up to continue trying and to continue to make himself a star in this league. So I, I actually like Jalen Brown. He's my, if we wind up keeping the pick, you know, we haven't talked about it, but he's my number one selection. Over Bender, over Murray, over Heald, over Dunn. That's the guy I want. I know he plays small forward, but let's face it, Jay Crowder can move to the four. Jay Crowder can absolutely move to the four the way that this league plays. And there's plenty of room for Jalen Brown to emerge if he earns it you know, in the first couple of years at starting in, at the three. And I think there could be a big reward for that. Um, and I'm with you. I think we go younger player, higher payoff, because they also tend to wind up having more trade value in the future. And you make a number three pick with like a Heald. And let's say Heald is a steady force in the league, but not an all-star. Then you didn't really gamble with that number three. And, and we kind of have to gamble here. If, if this team is going to, you know, continue to progress and grow, I think you've got to gamble a little bit. I know that's a vote for taking Dragon Bender as much as it is for a Jalen Brown, but I, I just think, think Jalen Brown is, is a safer gamble of all the gambles at that spot. You know, part of the problem at this point where we are with this draft, I think more so than any that I can really remember, is that we're at a point where so much of this is really based upon, like we were talking about earlier, those interviews, the guys coming in, and I think you really have to get a sense of who these people are. Like you're saying, Okafor, you know, is this a guy who's going to work? Um, Dragon Bender, is this a guy that's going to get in the gym? You know, really in the same way Okafor. Uh, <laughs> only in this case, he needs to add weight, and Okafor needs to slim down. Um, you know, you need to get a sense of who they are. 
what type of ethic are they going to have? And that we can't really tell that. I mean, I think you know, you look at Buddy Heald, you know what he is. You look at Jamal Murray, I think you know what he is. Um, I think Chris Dunn, can he add that jump shot? I think you look at you know Jalen Brown, can he add a jump shot? I think with those two guys, I mean, you, there is a work ethic question, not whether or not they have it, but how how driven are they? And and I think in this draft, it's very difficult for me to say which is the best because I really think you really have to be in those workouts. You really have to be talking to those guys. You really have to know what's going on. I think a lot of years you can look at what type of player they've been and say, okay, yeah, I'd take this guy or take that guy. This is, But this year I really felt like more so than any, it's really about the person and their ethic. And I think outside of the top two, absolutely. Outside of the top two, that's but what that's some of the fun, right? I mean, yeah. we armchair quarterback. We all fall in love with a guy. None of us are professionals or have any any. You know, even when I say things about Jalen Brown, I mean, come on. Like you said, I'm not in those workouts. I can watch tape or YouTube videos, or I can watch the tournament and evaluate. That's what made the tournament so funny this year. Is that's where a lot of us get our information. Is oh, they had a great tournament, so now their stocks rising. We're excited, or I saw something in their game that that I really like. But really, you know, it's just fun. It's just fun to pick your player, roll the dice, and see what happens. And then you know, we get to have all kinds of I told you so moments in the coming shows over the next five years and you know and, and if and if the team picks your player you know then you're that much more you're rooting for him that's the that's the, the great fun about the draft and I, you know I'll, I'll make an aside um, you know I'm not a huge gamer geek and so you know I, I don't collect all kinds of gear but I did buy a ps4 in January and I've gone back to using it a little bit my favorite part of any game and I will not buy a sports related game if it doesn't have the ability with franchise mode to draft players. Yeah. And that's I play Madden a lot, and that's what I like to do. I like to evaluate the players and then draft them and then develop them. That is some of the most fun. The one thing, and I'm gonna, maybe we'll end the show on this, but the one thing about trading for a proven star is that you do lose that. You lose some of the fun of evaluating young talent, watching their careers emerge. There's an element of that that even the first run that you and I covered when we developed this show with the Al Jeffersons and Delonte West and Tony Allens and you know even Rajon Rondo, Kendrick Perkins, that core that they were playing with, it was a lot of fun. It wasn't fun watching the games all the time, but it was a lot of fun looking at the players and you know we we could debate for hours and upon hours upon hours. If Jimmy Butler gets traded for and the person who's coming in after him is Terry Rozier. There are no conversations about, I think Terry Rozier should be getting more minutes, right? That conversation is shut down. It's, up, oh, you know, well, we saw this little hole in Butler's game, but I like how Brad's masking it. It's just a different conversation. It's not, look, I want him to get a big player. I want that trade just as much as you do. I want to talk playoffs. I want to watch this team get past the first round in year three of playoff po- uh, postseason playoff berths with, with Brad Stevens. I want to see that happen as much as anybody. But we have to acknowledge there's just something a little bit fun about having these draft conversations. The best thing for us is that we still have two more years of it if they don't trade those picks away and making a move. You know, the swap next year could be fun. 2018 could be fun. I'd love to see them hold on to a couple of those picks so we can have our cake and eat it, too. Absolutely. That's, you're absolutely right. You know, as fun as 2008 was, 
It was a great deal of fun in 2007 at times. The team was terrible. But seeing the development of a guy like Tony Allen before he blew his knee out, or seeing you know Delonte West grow into his role, or see Al Jefferson take that leap, that's fun stuff. Now you're going to be able to see that, and you hope, in the midst of a playoff run. That's where... That's really the interesting part of this too. Is like you're going to be adding some young players, possibly. You're either there's going to be a major shift because you're either going to have to get rid of some of these veterans to give these rookies some time, or the second year players, or or even to give Marcus Smart the role that he's I think earned, or yeah. you go in a different dire- direction completely and you get a guy like. Jimmy Butler or, or whatever, and, and you go the way that 08 went, and you make that turn from 07 to 08, maybe a little bit slower. I mean, that's, that was just such a dramatic thing I don't think we'll, we'll probably ever see again. But that was there was something missing there. There's an alternate reality, Justin, where it exists where the Celtics got the number two pick, they picked Kevin Durant, and they've been playing nine years with Kevin Durant growing and getting better and with playing next to Al Jefferson and And we don't have a title. They don't have a title, but you know, there is there is that how fun would that have been? Right? That would have been a ton of fun. fun. Al Jefferson and Durant side by side. Absolutely, no doubt. Tony Allen, Delonte West maybe still in the league. Who knows? Who knows? I love, it. I love it. There's a lot of there's a lot to play with. This Celtics team is still quite a ball of clay, and a lot's going to shape out. It's going to keep us entertained through the summer months for sure, as well as plenty to talk about when we come back next week on our show. We've got to wrap it for this week. Huge shout out to Scott Souza from the Metro West Daily News. We just love having him on the show. This broadcast is going to be available on demand on the CLNS Radio mobile app as well as CLNSRadio.com. Thank you to everyone who tuned. In. And just remember, you can help support this show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. And don't forget to give us a, a rating or a review. Your feedback's important to us, and it's just how we get better. Um, also, find us on Twitter, like RJHunterFan28 did. Send us questions for the show. I'm at CSL underscore Justin. John is at CSL underscore Duke. Or you can hit up our uh, gen- a gener- generic handle for the show CSL underscore tweet live and the show has been brought to you by a loot crate so everybody they've got a great deal for all you listeners most importantly you'd be supporting our show and the network so just go to lootcrate.com and use that promo code CLNS to save $3 on your subscription uh, a big thanks to you all of our loyal CLNS radio listener audience who make this all worthwhile, and for staff writer Eddie Santiago, program director Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Radio, Nick Gelso, and my co-host John Duke, I'm Justin Poole, and thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.